you're listening to Mysteries Beyond. What mysteries lie beyond the reach of our senses? And who are you in this vast multiverse? Hello, and welcome to Mysteries Beyond. I'm your host, Laura Lavender. The last couple of episodes have been a little bit on the darker side, so I decided to switch it up again and focus on something that's more on the lighter side of things. And since Valentine's is soon coming up, what better time to talk about who was or were Valentine? What is Lupercalia? And a little bit about the symbology behind the holiday of Valentine's Day. Alright, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into it because there is a lot that we need to talk about. Let's start with, what is Lupercalia? Well, Lupercalia is a pagan festival done every year to celebrate fertility and purification. And this festival was held during the days of February 13th through February 15th. But in order to better understand this pagan Roman festival, we have to go back in time just a little bit further, all the way back to before Rome was even created. This is the story of the origin of Rome. In ancient times, there ruled a fair, just, and noble king who had two sons, Numitor and Amulius. Numitor was next in line for the throne, and their father had made it so that Numitor would inherit the throne. And to be fair, Amulius would inherit the majority of his wealth. Amulius, however, wanted the throne. And so when the king died, Amulius assumed the throne and had his brother Numitor banished from the city. It is said that Numitor was able to make a pleasant life for himself as a farmer with his wife and three kids. He had two sons and a daughter. However, when Amulius found out that Numitor had children, he ordered his most capable soldiers to find his children and kill his sons. The daughter Rhea was to be brought before him. So Numitor's sons were indeed murdered but Rhea was spared. She was allowed to live a life of comfort and privilege as a priestess to the goddess Vesta, and was basically forbidden to have any children. But don't misunderstand, this was not Amulius suddenly having a change of heart. It was all part of his strategy to 1. Maintain his reputation, and 2. Secure his throne. However, This wasn't going to protect him from the retribution of the gods. So Ares, hey, (laughs) sorry guys, I just hold dear space for Mars and Saturn. But back to the story. So Ares, god of war, decided to intervene and went to Rhea in a dream. And in this dream, he showed her wearing a crown of laurel leaves and from these leaves sprouted two trees 
that grew taller and taller and taller. The dream came to her again and again, seven times, until she deemed it was a message from the gods. She didn't know what this dream meant at the time, but time continued to pass, and later, she gave birth to two twin boys. The trees from her dream had manifested. The father of these two children was said to be Ares, the god of war himself. But of course, the word soon spread, and her life was in danger. Rhea was casted into the river, where she allegedly died because she was never heard from again, and her twin boys were placed in a basket and washed away. Ares had located a mother wolf who lived in a den with her cubs nearby and guided his two children towards her. When the she-wolf heard the cries of the hungry babies, instead of attacking them or devouring them like anyone would assume, she took them back to the cave named Lupercal with her own cubs and fed them of her own milk. The infants, who later turned into toddlers, had survived on the she-wolf's kills and berries. Alright, so naturally, there are many versions of this story, and at this point is where some say that the she-wolf then guided them to local farmers, and others say that the god of fertility, Lupercus, was also watching over the children and helped guide them towards this local couple who happened to be farmers. So this couple found the children and took them in, and they were then named Romulus and Remus. It is said that these two children grew up to be very brave and very strong, and they would hunt the forest, and they learned how to farm the fields. But of course, being young, they wanted more. They wanted adventure. In their town, they had fought off a few thieves, taking back some stolen goods, and at the same time, getting praise from the local community and getting the recognition and reputation as local heroes. But just like in many stories, those thieves weren't going to simply stay with their arms crossed. They came back for vengeance. They ended up capturing Remus, and they took him to King Amulius and attempted to frame him for their own crimes. But King Amulius didn't care, because those crimes had happened in the land of Numitor, and Amulius wanted nothing to do with that. And so those thieves had no other option but to take him to Numitor. When Remus stood before Numitor, Numitor was able to recognize and saw the face of his own daughter in the kid's face. It was then where Romulus and his stepfather had come to the rescue. At this point, Numitor saw both boys and instantly knew they were his grandchildren, and explained to them all that had happened. Well, Romulus and Remus swore revenge upon Amulius, and decided to attack his palace. Although they were impulsive in making that choice, they were also strategic on how they went ahead and did so. In small groups, they infiltrated the palace, little by little, until the guards were outnumbered. Then, they held Amulius at sword point, in which they then revealed themselves and killed him. 
they appointed Numitor as the rightful king, where he began a peaceful reign. The two brothers then left to where they had been raised, but soon began to fight over who would rule the land there. They came to the agreement that the gods would choose by sending them a sign, and so each of them stood on separate hills and waited for their sign. Remus first saw six vultures flying in the sky, to which he interpreted to be a sign. But Romulus then said he saw no less than twelve vultures flying in the sky. The people there then began to pick sides over who would rule. Would it be Romulus, who saw the birds first, or would it be Remus, who saw more birds? However, this was pointless because the brothers continued to fight. It had gotten so bad that Romulus built a wall around his settlement, and Remus then broke through his brother's wall on purpose, simply to prove and make a point that his wall was weak and therefore he was a weak ruler. Romulus then responded by killing his own brother and stated that this was to be the consequence of anyone who dared break through his wall. The people there then declared Romulus king and in time named their city Rome. And that's the origin story of Rome. But what does that have to do with Valentine's Day? You might be wondering, well, Lupercalia, the pagan Roman festival of fertility and purification, existed and or began because there is power in numbers, and Rome needed to grow in size. Its population needed to expand in order to continue to be safe. So, fertility was the key. Lupercalia, also known as Dies Februatus, meaning the purification, and the reason for the name of the month, February, was also a day to honor Lupercus, and it was actually more of a festival for shepherds than for lovers. And this festival took place in the Lupercal, the cave where Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, were once nurtured by the she-wolf. And so the people would gather there to sacrifice goats and dogs to Lupercus. And in exchange, their livestock would be blessed and it would be a fertile season. Why dogs and why goats? Well, the dogs were more of a symbolic reference to the wolves, to honor the she-wolf who nurtured Remus and Romulus. But also because Lupercus was the god who watched over the farmers and their harvest. And goats because, well, they're associated with shepherds, the farm life, and fertility. And not to mention because Lupercus, also known as Faunus, and or as Pan in Greek mythology, took the form of a goat. Well, half man, half goat, hence the name Fawn, right? The perfect image that comes to mind is if you've ever seen that movie Pan's Labyrinth, by Guillermo del Toro, or if you've seen it in Spanish, it's called El Laberinto del Fauno, right? It's in the name, Pan in English, Fauno, Faunus, Pan, Faunus. Either way, it can be referenced back to Lupercus. They are variations of the same deity. 
similar to Venus and or Aphrodite, or Mercury and Hermes, Mars and Aries. <laughs> I think you get the point. Well, Lupercalia would begin with two priests who were naked, by the way. They would start the festival by sacrificing a goat and or a dog and smearing the blood onto the foreheads of the Luperci. And if you're thinking, wow, that's so gross. Well, agreed, but, but you have to remember, blood is sacred. Blood is life. It's the life force. And through blood, it is believed that one can absorb those qualities. Okay, so that blood would be smeared on the forehead of the Luperci. Who were the Luperci? A group of male adolescents who were to be initiated into this festival. The priest would then take the milk and would erase the blood from their foreheads. Milk is also sacred. Mothers produce it. It's what sustains you. It's what gives you nutrients. Alright, and so they would end this part of the ritual by laughing hysterically. They then proceeded to cut the skin of the sacrificed goats and make them into little strips to make whips. And they would go out into the streets and whip women who were part of the festival. But it wasn't done in a violent way. <laughs> At least I don't think. Because women wanted to participate. They wanted to get whipped. Because they believed it would help them conceive. In fact, the more bruised they got, the higher the probability was, according to them, to become pregnant. And if they were already pregnant, then it would mean it would be an easy childbirth. But why the whipping? Because it was a way to simulate penetration coming from a sex symbol or a fertility symbol, the goat. So many men and women participated in this tradition, and in fact, some men even dressed themselves with the sacrificed skin of the goat to honor the god Lupercus. And of course, they would chase women and women who were touched by the whip had to write their names on little slips and put them in a large urn. And each of the city's bachelors had to pick out a name, and whoever they got was to become his companion for the following year. And many couples ended up falling in love and staying together that way. And you guys already know that this festival consisted of a great feast and wine. But how did we get from Lupercalia to Valentine's Day. Well, Christian influence, of course. I'm sure some of you already saw that one coming. So, Valentine's Day was named after a priest named Valentine, who ended up being a martyr and later turned into a saint. However, the records aren't too clear because, apparently, there was more than one martyr named Valentine. And nobody will ever truly know because, more than likely, the stories were exaggerated. Alright, so the first Valentine was said to be a priest in Africa who was killed along with 24 soldiers. But that's all there is to him. That's all we know. The second Valentine was a priest who was rumored to marry lovers in secret. It was said that the emperor at the time, Claudius II, forbade young men from marrying because they made better soldiers that way. 
but Claudius II never actually forbade anybody from marrying. He just sincerely believed that young men who were not married made better soldiers. But regardless, Valentine would marry these young couples in secret. And so Claudius II ordered that Valentine be beheaded. And lastly, the third Valentine was a priest who was once arrested and placed into the custody of an aristocrat. This particular aristocrat, you could say, was in a way coerced into converting into Christianity because Valentine told him he could cure his daughter's blindness. And if he did that, then the aristocrat would have to convert to Christianity. So they ended up having an agreement. And guess what? Valentine was able to cure his daughter's blindness. All of a sudden, miraculously, she was able to see. So the aristocrat's family agreed to be baptized, but the emperor found out and had his whole family executed, all with the exception of Valentine. Valentine was to be specifically beheaded. And so later, Pope Galesius created this holiday to commemorate his death on February 14th. He basically rebranded Lupercalia because pagans weren't going to stop celebrating their festivals. And it was also done with the intention to help people take their minds off of being with each other because this was too much. This was too obscene for the church. And so that is how Rome, Lupercalia, and St. Valentine merged and became known as what we now know as Valentine's Day. But let's talk a little bit about the symbology behind it. Let's start with the colors. So we have red and we have white. Combined, we also get pink, which are the holidays colors. Well, now you know that red obviously symbolizes the blood that was sacrificed and white symbolizes the milk. It was the milk that nurtured Remus and Romulus. White is also a symbol of purification, and it's a time to avert evil spirits. If you think of it in terms of nature, and you look at our cycles, we just overcame winter, the dark period, the death period, a time where the sun had fallen and died, and so evil spirits were free to roam. But now, if you pay attention, you'll start to notice that with each day that goes by, because the sun has risen, there is more and more light. It's a time to celebrate. Because there was so much death, but we overcame it, it is now a time to reproduce. Nature knows it. The animals know it. And it's certainly ingrained in our subconscious. But now... Knowing this information, we can choose to become aware and more in tune with nature. And I haven't looked too much into it, but I suppose that's where we get spring cleaning from, as opposed to summer cleaning and or winter cleaning. Although you are welcome to clean at any time that you'd like, that's not to say that you can't clean during summer or winter, or fall for that matter. But I digress. So spring cleaning. It's a time for purging, a time for purification. 
So we have our colors, red and white. But we also have the symbol of the red rose. Aside from it representing love, it was also dedicated to Venus and or Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Because it springs from the muddy earth, it's a symbol that represents spirit over matter. So, purification. It's an aspect that it shares with the lotus flower. And the original rose has five petals, an example of the pentagram created by the natural world. But the number five symbolizes a marriage, a union between the numbers two and three, two being feminine energy, three being masculine energy. And the red rose is also associated to the goddess Venus and the goddess Aphrodite. Both are different variations to represent the same goddess of love and beauty. And well, speaking of gods, this is where Cupid comes in. Cupid is the son of Mercury, the winged messenger of the gods, and Venus, the goddess of love. And so when we think of Cupid, we typically think of him as a young little chubby baby with a bow and arrow. But he was actually depicted as a young man in his late teens and was considered both handsome and threatening. By the way, Cupid is also the counterpart to Eros. Eros is the Greek version, but nonetheless, same deity. A lot of us know that Eros and or Cupid had the power to make people and gods fall in love. However, not many know that he would sometimes simply play with the hearts of mortals and gods to cause chaos. And most gods and people feared him because it was like he could make you fall in love that ended up leading to tragedy. So you can bet that during the festivities of Lupercalia, and even in modern times as we celebrate Valentine's Day, Cupid is roaming around. So if you're celebrating Valentine's Day, happy Lupercalia to you, which is what I think you mean to say and celebrate. And also, I just wanted to say that because it's a time to celebrate fertility and purification, and because nature is also going through this cycle, and because that's the energy that's going around, I would suggest you take advantage of the opportunity and get creating. I'm not necessarily alluding to children. What I'm referring to is to get creating anything. Now is the perfect time to create and use the energy around you. Plant those seeds of what you wish to harvest, whether it be short-term or long-term, and nurture them. That is one of the many ways you can celebrate Lupercalia and use the energy around you to perform magic. If the term magic offends your modern sensibilities, then you're welcome to call it manifestation. But hey, if you guys have any questions, or if there's something that you simply wish to add, or if you have any feedback, don't be shy. Please feel free to reach out to me. My email address is lauralavender.mb at gmail.com. And or you can reach me at Instagram at lauralavender.mb and message me there. 
and or TikTok, same handle, lauralavender.mb. Also, don't forget to check out the website at www.mysteriesbeyond.com. I did add a couple of new pictures on there, so if you want to check those out, please feel free to go look at those. Also on the homepage, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see that speak pipe button. Don't be shy. Feel free to leave me a quick audio message and I'll post it on the next episode for all of us to hear. If you don't know what to say, just state your name or your nickname, where you're from, and what you think about the show. Also, I'll be adding more to the website besides pictures, so stay tuned for that. Also, before I forget, a quick shout out to Charlene. I keep forgetting to bring this up, but if you're listening through the Spotify app, there is a Q&A where I ask you questions about the episode, like, what did you think about the episode? And you can respond, and Charlene responded, so thank you so much for that. And also a quick shout out to Ashley, who is a new listener. So thank you, Charlene. Thank you, Ashley, for supporting the podcast by listening. And thank all of you for also supporting the podcast by listening to Mysteries Beyond. I'm your host, Laura Lavender, and I'll see you guys next episode.